What's up, everyone? Welcome back, or if you haven't listened before, welcome. I took a few weeks off to stockpile some interviews and officially rebrand the podcast, so you're listening to the second episode of what is now the Future of Music podcast. I wanted to branch out of just Web3 and start talking about music and tech more generally, especially with topics like AI becoming so prevalent. Technology is going to drastically change the way music is made, monetized, and consumed over the next decade, and I want to learn about all of it, and I'm bringing you along for the ride. I've also been getting super involved with Float, an experimental label and media company helping independent artists create music and sell digital assets, and we've decided to partner for the podcast, so I'll now be releasing new episodes on YouTube under their Float TV channel. So lots of exciting stuff going on, and thank you for tuning in. Speaking of AI, I've decided to use the tools at my disposal for intros and outros going forward. So here is the intro done by an AI model of my voice. This episode is a conversation with Malcolm Levy, the founder of Refraction DAO. Refraction is a global community of music, art, and culture enthusiasts who produce festivals and ongoing events all over the world, organize NFT projects, and create written, visual, and audio content around art, culture, and music today. Previously, Malcolm started his own music and tech festival called New Forms in the early 2000s after years of growing up in the East Coast and Midwest United States and Canadian rave scenes of the 90s. He then became the head curator for the Digital Arts Festival of the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. After that, he studied and then worked at the New School and the New Museum before starting Refraction in 2019. We talk about all of this experience and more. And another quick note, there are some audio quality issues towards the end of the podcast that resulted from us having to record this over the phone. So just a heads up, but the conversation was incredible and still well worth the listen. Anyway, I hope you learned something new from today's episode. Here is Malcolm Levy. So where, where are you based out of, Malcolm? Um, right now I'm in Toronto, Canada. Right now as in that's where you're living? That's where I'm living, yeah. yeah. I go between, um, I'm mostly in Toronto or New York when I'm not in Toronto. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, yeah. How long have you been there? Um, the last few years, this is where I grew up. And then in the, uh, and you know, came back a few years ago loving being back in Toronto. I grew up actually in Hamilton, which is a very cool little city about just, um, it's kind of like Brooklyn to Toronto in the same way as, um, you know, Brooklyn would be to New York historically and stuff. So, um, or, and that's what they kind of like call it in the New York times and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I grew up here, had an amazing time. Um, then moved out. Actually, I lived in Montreal for a few years for school and then lived out West in Vancouver for about 20 years um, and uh, around 2011, 2012, I ended up doing my uh, master's at the new school and was then in the incubator on New Inc at the new museum and so spent a bunch of time um, in New York as well. But it's great to be back fully on the East Coast and, um, and back in Toronto as well. Yeah, that's cool. And the uh, the Refraction team, I, I would assume, is based all over the place? All over the place. The Refraction team is literally all over the world. Yeah. How many uh, like core team members are there, would you say? You know, there's there's like about seven or eight core team members and then a bunch of like, then there's like a bunch of, you know, further members from there all over the world, like, you know, are different you know, representatives in different cities that are doing different events. Um, we have some folks that work on specific projects. Of course, all of the artists, um, creative directors, etc. So then, you know, from there, you know, there's around 2000 folks in the DAO 
at this point. Um, in terms of like practicing artists and musicians, there's about 700 who have come in um, on the super active point. You know, like if you look at any of our um, shows or you know exhibitions or drops or uh, performances, you know, at any one time, there's usually a few hundred that are pretty active through the different events and everything else um, in more of like a satellite fashion mm-hmm. for refraction. Yeah. So we met at the, uh, the event in Miami at, um, yeah. I forget what that venue was called, but yeah, that was a really, really, really cool event. A lot of cool art. The, the DJ sets were really, really great. Um, thank you. I went yeah, to the, I went to the water music like round table before that, which was very, super interesting. Amazing. Um, yeah, so that was cool. How do you for an event like that? How do you uh, how do you curate the artists and the DJs and musicians? Yeah, absolutely. So like we have a we have a curatorial team internally that um, grows and shifts based on the specific events around the world. So I mean that in the case of Miami, you know, to kind of get back to that kind of where we just started around like being all over the world, you know, there's incredible folks from um, Safe and Jezebel and Defy in Miami and Miami Community Radio that we worked with on the ground as we started to build it out. Um, and then, you know, on the conference side, of course, with Water and Music, and then on the art curatorial side, um, in that instance, it was like myself um, and Dina Chang curating artwork and on the uh, music side it was uh, i was working with pauline lamel who's our curator is also doing av club with linus booth um within the dow and um creates a lot of the music as well as the folks from um safe and jezebel which was great because you know then it allows for um real interaction on the ground with the communities and everything else which is awesome and then during the daytime nick padilla um and the crew from Miami Community Radio helped with some of the like further music for that. And they were working with um, Caitlin Davies for that. Um, and then Diego and Lewis and Milano and the whole crew down in Miami and Leah really were part of helping to produce and putting on the event. So it's very collaborative in that sense. Yeah, a lot of people involved for sure. Um, and I definitely have some follow-up questions about that, but I think I want to get that in, get into that a little later. Um, in just looking at like your background and what refraction has going on, I think the way that I sort of want to structure this conversation and hopefully we can get to everything in like an hour is, uh, sort of talking about a brief overview of refraction. I think for people who, you know, aren't that familiar with it or haven't heard of it. Um, and Mm -hmm. then, and then I want to go all the way back to like your, uh, your start in sort of the music scene of going to the rave scene in the 90s and then how that built up to your own festival and then how that you know how you ran that festival until that led to your time at the new school and the new museum and then how that eventually transitioned back into refraction and then we'll finish with you know i have a million questions about refraction cool um yeah cool At this point in the conversation, we got sidetracked talking about some mutual friends. And when we got back into the podcast conversation, I had completely forgotten to give an overview of refraction like I had just said I wanted to do. So I wrote the script and used an AI model of my voice to give that overview before we get back into the podcast. 
taking some descriptions from their website. Refraction is a DAO of music, art, and culture enthusiasts. Refraction is a diverse community who produce festivals and ongoing events, release NFT projects, and create written, visual, and audio content around art, culture, and music today. This year's festival will happen across the globe, with the performances, installations, and music sets being recorded to culminate in an extended festival in the open metaverse. Now back to the audio recorded podcast. Let's get into it. Um, I really do want to start with your experience in the rave scene in the 90s. I, I read a book about how electronic music was, you know, birthed in uh, in Chicago and then Detroit and how it spread to New York and then around the country and all these crazy parties and, you know, whatever form of discord they had at the time. There were these chat groups and um, it just seemed like a really, really interesting scene and you know it's obviously the birth of like something so new at the time so i'd love to hear like your experience in it and maybe sort of what you learned from it that you've applied throughout your career yeah absolutely like so like i started like getting into electronic music i was probably like 13 or 14 years old and you know for what you're talking about there like i would have been on the young side at that point right so you know a lot of the establishment of like you know chicago detroit um new york and those sounds, but also like I would add, you know, an influence that was coming at the time, you know, in in the 90s in Toronto, especially from London, um, was jungle as well, you know? So you had, you know, so you had kind of like an influence going back and forth with Detroit and Berlin in terms of techno um, and, and house music, you know, between different areas of Europe and, um, you know, Chicago and Detroit and so on in New York. And then, you know, living in, where I grew up, you know, you would go out to different parties, like, like when you were really young and, you know, all these different DJs would be coming through because the, um, it's all very close, right? So at that time, you know, to drive from Chicago or Detroit to Toronto to New York, you know, it's like eight, 10 hours, but everyone's just used to doing that all the time or you get on a quick flight, you know, it's all very close or Montreal, you know, so you gotta, you gotta think that like, there's a, there's a big geographical presence around a lot of that. So, you know, in the 90s, like, you know, I was very young and was, you know, sneaking into parties, really, um, if they were at like more clubs, like, you know, you got fake ID when you're like 15. Um, I was born in 1977, so you can make a 1973 fake ID out of it, which meant that <laughs> where so, you know, you had to be 19 to get in Canada. So by the time I was about 15, 16, I could like go anywhere and all our friends could too but then of course at the same time would you guys just like scribble the three over the seven on your real id is that how you did it yeah i mean there was a dude in our in our like crew robbie m and he somehow figured out he was like really good with like a pen you know and or like a marker you know like a like a black pen and he did it and then relaminated them i can't remember exactly how i did it but it worked really, really well um, for years and years. And then the, when we actually, one, one night, we were like having a kind of like a little party at a friend's house. And it was like pretty loud. We were blasting a lot of music. I remember it was like around the time that um, like that big Delight album came out. And so, we, so we were just like, we were very proud at the time, like of being in electronic music in general. and. Um, what happened is the cops came and they, they had like, we, like there are a few of us outside and we got like, not like arrested, but like, you know, all of a sudden they're like, you know, 
like, let's see your ID and et cetera. Right. And, um, <laughs> We had to explain that, like all of our, you know, they're, you know, all of our, our IDs were, um, were fake, right? Or like not fake, were like, <laughs> altered, been altered. <laughs> and so that was the end of the fake IDs. Um, but in the time for like, you know, I think we we're almost nineteen by that point, so it didn't really matter. And so, you know, long story short, the, um, you know, at the same time. You know, rave culture in Toronto and in this like area of, um, you know, North America was exploding, you know? So this is like in the, in the early to mid nineties, 93, 94, 95, 96, it was like, there was a huge amount of parties happening all the time. Okay. And then, and they would be very much within that like original rave context of like multiple rooms. So in one room, you know, you've got, you know, house music or like you know different forms of house music playing or techno in another room you might have um you might have something more like um trance or something like that and then in the third room in toronto it was always jungle because toronto had the largest and strongest jungle scene outside of london at that time so in like the mid 90s all the big jungle artists were coming to toronto as well so you would have you know like, you know, you would have an influences like coming from like Richie Houghton, you know, in Windsor. And then, you know, some of the early like, you know, Carl Crager, Jeff Mills from Detroit, et cetera, coming, you know, up at that time, you know. And then in another room, you would have, um, you know, you would have like, you know, these bigger trans DJs, which, you know, you know, and there was a guy named Dr. No, who was kind of like led the scene here and stuff like that. And then in another room, you would have. You know, and then maybe it was like there was something, you know, featuring house music. You have like Derek Carter, DJ Sneak, a lot of these, you know, older heads playing Carrie Chandler, etc. And, you know, and sometimes it would be like in a big rave setting. Sometimes it would be in a smaller warehouse. But in those cases, you know, there was no age to go to like a rave, right? You just had to know about it and have the number like for the line to go. And then in the main room, it would always be jungle. So, you know, it would be like Kenny Ken, Nikki Black Market, um, Mickey Finn, Randall, like all the big jungle DJs were coming to Toronto. And then like there was like Mystical Sniper and, you know, Vinyl Syndicate and this crew in Toronto that was like probably the biggest crew outside of London, you know, and, you know, people were pretty proud of that. And, you know, so you had kind of this thing where like whether it was like house music, techno or jungle at the time, it was all coming in and through Toronto. So that had a huge influence to me because it was like, I was really young and like, there are two things that really influenced me. Like at the same age, I was playing a lot of basketball too. Like, so it's ironic you brought that up. Yeah. And so it was like the playing basketball at a really young age, you know, like I went, I was like playing and like, you know, was, you know, to the point where like I was, you know, went to like, basketball camps in the states like at Syracuse and stuff and meet all these people from you know all over New York and stuff like that which was like really eye-opening and awesome just like meet folks from outside of like where I was growing up let's say but then on the flip side like with the rave scene it was like I was young but getting all these influence from all these different like backgrounds and cultures and different people and like at the time you know the idea of like horror was like real so <laughs> it was like it was like a real thing you know people really believed in it and it was like for a lot of like 
kids of that generation who are now, you know, in their 40s and stuff, it had like a major influence, you know, like it shifted how all of us think, you know? So like I have friends now that I see that were, you know, part of that scene then, like it's crazy being back in Toronto because it's like, it's awesome, you know, cause you'll, I'll see someone and like, I remember seeing them when, you know, we were like, you know, 50 or 16 years old at these parties, right? And of course, everything that goes along with it, it exposes you to so much. And I think like that for sure, those two things were probably the most influential um, things on my existence, as well as seeing like drums in space and the visuals during that at a Grateful Dead concert I went to when I was like 14 years old. Those things like affected my visual art, how I thought about music. I spent a summer in New York when I was like 16 and got really deep into hip hop. Um, so that kind of mix of all of those things like really shifted how I thought about like visual art, music, um, culture, community. Um, yeah, and I think you can like really see a very clear, um, you know, really clear like trajectory from that till today in a lot of ways, right? And and those belief systems, you know, they morph and they shift and they change, but a lot of them kind of say the same, you know? And I think the most important one of all of them was just being open to different ideas and, you know, trying to think of a better way around everything, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in in uh, looking at some of your other interviews and just hearing that, you know, that talk right there. Yeah, I can definitely see the parallels between, um, yeah, the openness to new ideas and finding a new way to do things. And, you know, honestly, plur, peace, love, unity, respect, like people are, are like that in Web3 for sure. Like it's a very supportive community. Everyone's trying to bring each other up and everyone's just trying to find a new way to, you know, sustain themselves and thrive and, and uh, sort of, you know, find a new way of organizing that isn't the traditional system that obviously has all these so many flaws in so many ways. And yeah, hearing those parallels between the scene in the 90s is really interesting. Um, so after, you know, growing up in that scene, you started your own festival when you were what, like 20 years old? Tell me about that. Yeah, Tell me how that yeah. came so to like, be. When I was in Montreal, we were throwing different parties and um, I was DJing a lot. And um, you know, and we were doing different visual art, um, the whole crew that we hung out with, it was very kind of creative around kind of these cross-disciplinary activities. And all of us had been, a lot of us had been really influenced by all the things that I'm, um, that I was bringing up, you know, in Montreal at the time was like a huge, and it still is, but at that moment it was like a, it was like a cultural center, you know, like all the kids going, you know, there are all these kids going to all these different universities and art programs and music programs are just hanging out and being part of it. And, um, and so we started doing these events and then myself and, the, um, Jared Martineau, who's a good friend, even today, we, we were doing parties and then we, and then on a whim, I kind of decided, like, I had always really loved the West coast from when I had ever had been there. And, you know, I should mention that all the things I just said also mean like, you know, the East Coast can get quite hectic, you know, like it's like, you know, it's like a go go place. Right. On all levels. Right. Especially a city like Toronto and, you know, I'm, and, you know, growing up and everything else, I was like, you know what, I think I kind of want to change. Like, I want to just kind of like do my thing and like go out west. you know. So um, 
So he said, you know, like, let's work on starting this magazine and do a, like uh, the festival. Cause we, cause the events were like turning into a festival. So we went out west and we started new forms, 2000. We're very young. Um, yeah. And it, and it went and the response was crazy. And then, you know, over the 10, 15 years after that, it became like an institution, you know, like I was able to pass it on to um, another generation of folks, which is incredible to be able to leave that in a way where it's able to exist in a different way and a really interesting way after what you've worked on. Like that, I think, is a really interesting thing that a lot of people don't talk about in culture is like creating sustainable structures and creating, you know, things that actually can happen long term beyond, you know, what you might have been involved with with it or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so we started new forms and it went great. And, and, and in the first couple of years, we started partnering with like Mutech in Montreal and Club Transmediala in Berlin. We became part of this like international network. There's a festival on sound and future everything and all these different folks. And, um, and that was like the first time I would say that it went from being something like really interesting in terms of a festival locally to like, you know, being part of this like very interesting and cool, like avant-garde global community of, you know, curators and artists and practitioners and so on um, that, you know, had a huge influence again on like, you know, then shaping, you know, world understanding, you know, you know, when you live in North America, you get the opportunity to go to Europe a bunch, you get the opportunity to go to other places, it really helps under like shape a worldview, you know, and the worldview is never going to be perfect, it's always going to have subjectivities within it, or, you know, I don't even know if there is a perfect worldview, so to speak, but it helps to like generate different ways of understanding different people in the world and so on. So I think that also, you know, experience, you know, in 2003 and 2004 and five and six, um, you know, leading into that. And then, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in Berlin talking in a panel or going to events or working on an installation or, you know, London or, you know, and so on. And then, then in about 2008, 2009, I was asked to, um, be the curator for the digital art festival for the Olympics. They had never done like a digital art festival around the Olympics, um, but it was in Vancouver and because I had done new forms, they just asked me to curate all the electronic music and digital art. So I did, <laughs> and I was like, sure, okay, cool. And like, so I, you know, so I, you know, I that became like my job for a few years and that taught me a huge amount around understanding, you know, this other side of things, right? Like. You know, the budgets for something like the Olympics are very different than the budgets for, you know, some of these other things, right? Like, uh, and, you know, underground, you know, arts festival and so on. So, you know, you, you learn different um, ways of seeing production or events or everything else in between, right? And, um, yeah, and um, so it was great. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm actually in the process of uh, starting a year one festival myself with a friend in DC who uh, she's had this vision for a while and we're really starting to put some things together like right now and formulate the the team members and the lineup and everything and are trying to uh, really showcase DC art and DC electronic talent more than anything. But um, right. it's an interesting process. And so... I'd love to hear about like what were the biggest challenges with with starting new forms and 
especially with year one. Um, and then maybe after that, like, what do you think your biggest keys to success were as you grew it? And how did that change? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, so I think, like, you know, the biggest challenge with any festival in its first year is, like, you're starting something from nothing, right? So, it, it, you know, you're going to be working with different folks that you're close with, artists, musicians. You know, I've always done, basically, I've always been part of artist-run festivals and initiatives, you know, since, like, the entire time, you know, my entire, you know, career, like, you know, of, of doing this. Right. So, you know, as a, as a curator and also an artist and also being someone who organizes around those kinds of ethos, it was always something where, you know, it was very community minded in the beginning. And so, I mean, I think the challenges like are, you know, getting the right folks out, making sure you have enough funding for everyone to, you know, get paid for their performances or figuring out ways to create some kind of a um, mode of compensation and, you know, cooperation, all that and the production and marketing and branding and everything else, all of that becomes, you know, part of that, right? It's like a larger ecology. But I would say the biggest, um, the biggest thing around it overall, when it really comes down to it is the, um, is the, uh, the biggest thing around it when it really comes down to it is the is really looking at um you know having an understanding generally of the um having an understanding generally of the um you know what you're building right what's the vision you know how do people see that how do they understand that as a brand as a larger um concept and so on. And I think that would be, that would be one of the biggest things that I learned from over those years for sure. Yeah, that's definitely something we're thinking about a lot. And uh, my friend who's planning with me is certainly the the one with that vision. And I'm really just uh, excited to help her bring it to life, really. So it's a fun project. And yeah, all of those things that, you know, we're dealing with some of those challenges right now, for sure, is figuring out how to get the right people involved and how to structure the budget and financing the right way so we can really pay people, you know, hopefully more than just a fair wage for, for participating and playing and, and uh, contributing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. When, when you guys were forming new forms, how did you think about your uh, sustainability of the festival and the brand and concept as a whole? Yeah, I mean, well, we, we really thought about it as like something that was at the time, you know, there were very few festivals that focused on electronic music and digital art and, you know, aspects of that around the world, right? So to be honest, like we were really focused on, you know, pushing this new wave, right? Which has now become kind of like how everything is done. So I would say in that sense, you know, that was the biggest, that was the biggest thing that we were pushing if that makes sense. So we were the pushing, we were so focused on pushing the art forward and pushing the work and pushing the art. That was the, that was the focus. So, you know, that vision is what kept to it and, you know, why the name was the name and everything else, you know, at the time there, there was, um, Ronnie size had the album new forms that had come out a couple years before, which was a great album. And I remember, you know, we were talking about, whether, you know, calling it new forms, which we just wanted to because that's what we felt it to be. 
does that make sense with the name and everything? We had these like kind of questions around it, but the reality was that once we launched new forms, people just identified new forms with the art and music that we were doing. So, I mean, I think to the last point is like the most important thing is to have vision and to continue to push that vision and that vision will shift and change and grow, but figuring out how that vision works and keeping to it is incredibly important. And you know what y'all should really focus on more than anything else there as you're working on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's good advice. Uh, we'll definitely take that to heart. So I appreciate it. Um, so, so the festival sort of got you connected to this global community of curators. That's what led to the Olympics. And then how did you transition from that to, uh, going to the new school and working with the new museum? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, after doing that, I was just kind of like, I wasn't, I needed a shift. So I wanted to go back to school and do my master's in media arts and really spend some time thinking. I had spent so much time doing for the years before that. I'd done, um, I'd been in cultural studies at McGill and, you know, that was, there were a lot of people who were doing all the things that I was describing there. And it was this really creative community. And I felt I really wanted to come back and focus on that. And, you know, once I started the new school, I worked with, um, the most incredible advisor, um, Dr. Christiana Paul, who's the media arts um, curator, digital arts curator at the Whitney in New York, um, and was run, one of the heads of the department. And so she became my advisor and she, you know, she said to me right away, you know, um, I think you should focus on your art practice or your thesis and what you're doing because you spent, like, you wouldn't be to just spend it on further curatorial work right now would be like a a waste of the time, so to speak, you know, like what's the challenge in that, right? And I was, I was even still curating and working. The new school is great because it allows you to work at the same time. So I was curating the International Symposium of Electronic Arts and doing other stuff at the time. And, um, and it was the beginning of, um, you know, 2014 and 15. And so like a, uh, the process of passing on new forms and everything to, you know, which takes a number of years. It's not very simple to do such things, but you know, it was able to happen over a bunch of years, which was great. And, um, but just to, you know, to flip back. And so I real, so I ended up really focusing in on my art practice, um, which then led in a lot of ways to forming, um, the creative app generate, which was, which is kind of like a glitch app, live visuals app, uh, works, you know, in many ways with music and, you know, in many ways spawned some of the aspects of like, you know, where the, where the creative visual art side of the DAO um, came into play, um, you know, and so what I realized from it all was that like by spending a bunch of time focusing my art practice in the long run, it actually helped my curatorial practice a lot at the same time. And also just my ways of thinking, so on. And um, so, yeah, so I went back to school, was doing that. And then um, I was showing with a gallery called Transfer Gallery in New York. Um, which has an incredible crew of folks involved. Um, at the time, most notably, the director is Kalani Nicole, who still is the founder and director today and works with Wade Wallerstein and some incredible, incredible people around, you know, what they've created and continue. And a lot of that... What what was your art practice, if you don't mind me interrupting? Oh, you? it's like digital visual art. And, you know, if you go on, you know, Foundation and so on or on Hen, you can see like a lot of different works. So it's mostly like glitch-based work and 
motion-based work and visual art, a lot of it abstract, um, et cetera. So I, so like a lot of the stuff, it's kind of like the visualization of music in ways of how I see it. It has to do with, you know, contemporary abstract abstraction. Um, yeah. And different forms of like, you know, glitch, um, art as well. Um, and so, you know, I'd done a lot of visuals in the nineties and two thousands. And then from there kind of, it moved into more of an art practice, which, you know, it still remains today. And what I was about to say is what was so interesting is a lot of the artists that were part of that scene were some of the first artists on, you know, platforms like foundation in, you know, the more contemporary scene. And so like, I was really lucky because like my first introduction to web three was dropping a bunch of artwork on foundation and all these folks collecting it and then knowing other artists there and being pumped on what they were collecting and everything else. And so there was this really interesting introduction into like this new world that came through the past into the present that kind of led into the future, so to speak. Yeah, that's an interesting path. I can see. So when you found, like, how did you find Web3 and uh, when you sort of discovered NFTs, what was yeah, was mean, there like an epiphany of like oh wow this is like a way i can sell my digital art or was it sort of more uh, gradual no, no. like so like like you know i mean i over the years you know like um and you can look in like like my website or something like that like the amount of shows that i had and works that had been created and things that had been done it went on and on and on within this kind of larger digital art oeuvre you know of the time right and um different galleries, different festivals, different cooperative groups, you know, different artist run spaces, etc. And then, you know, in, okay, in let's say 2019, different people just started messaging me saying like, Hey, are you going to start like putting out NFTs? What do you think? Like, they were just like asking me. And the truth is at that time, like I had, I had like done some research and thought a bit about the blockchain. I had an idea. I wrote a white paper around it, um, augmented reality, um, you know, space around the world with NFTs everywhere that people could, you know, you know, people could, you know, purchase or see, you know, if it was unlocked through, you know, through the blockchain. There were these different ideas I've been thinking about. You know, but I wasn't an expert by any means at that time. You know, I was just kind of like interested, let's say. And um, so I was like, okay, it, like I, you know, so I was like, let me think about it, you know, was kind of my response, you know, because because um, I wasn't sure, you know, anything that I do artistically or curatorially or anything else, you have to take the time to really think it through. And I went from there into, um, I guess, into um, like moving into, um, you know, you know, moving into kind of seeing some friends starting to drop on places like Foundation. This is like very early on. And, you know, so I said, like, how's it going? You know, and it turns out, you know, some of the folks working at Foundation, you know, were like, you know, trusted in the community or some of the artists and so on. I said, you know, I'm going to try this. So you, you had to get an invite. So I got an invite from one of the artists. Um, and I did my first drop and it took so long to think about it and how I would do it and everything else around it. And it was bid on within like the first couple minutes. 
And then the rest was kind of history. I was like, wow. And then I realized like I knew some of the folks that were doing this. And, you know, what I really saw, to be honest, was something that represented all the things we've been talking about all of these years, but in a different way and in a different structure, you know. And I was like, okay, cool. Can you, know, you so, can you expand a little bit about the parallels there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've always, um, like I've always been part of communities that are really trying to focus on artist run and artist focused practices and, you know, different ways of sustainability. You know, and that's a very complex thing. It's not simple. It takes time. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And, um, and you know, basically this was a new mode of that. Also, it just kind of made sense that as I was always making digital art and trying to show it and it being sold in a physical form, that a digital currency would make a lot of sense to purchase digital art and that it would live on a blockchain. Like all this just made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the, you know, from there to go a little further, um, you know, I started learning a lot more about DAOs at that point. I found them really interesting. And, you know, the two people who really, um, who, you know, who really kind of like showed me or, you know, opened my eyes to them outside of, you know, I joined FWB at some point around then and um, Jeff Sloss, you know, from Seed Club and uh, Priyanka Desai from Tribute DAOs, both of them, Priyanka reached out about Museo, which is the um, an artist kind of run museum that had been created. And because I, you know, so I sent in a piece to join. And then after that was, you know, able to, you know, like join that DAO. And then, and then, you know, Jess was doing C Club and I started asking him about it. And the conversation about refraction, just to go back. So it happened the first year really out of a necessity or a need in the space for different ways of community coming together around the pandemic. So the it was space, all online. The space being and, what? The space being it, which this space? This is pre like the web three notion of today. So like, yeah. you know, so just it was the space uh, of art and, and uh, creators. It was, di- yeah. So it was digital art and electronic music all online um, happening, you know, in, um, you know, happening and, and, you know, and I guess 20, this would be, um, in the summer of 2020, you know, and like in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, so it was like a decentralized festival of all these different groups around the world showing what they were doing during COVID, but done in a very like collaborative way. And so the concept made a lot of sense for web three. So it wasn't Definitely. putting like, you know, it wasn't trying to make something match. It was like literally already happening. So we went to all of the partners and we talked to them about what, you know, would they be into Web3? And a lot of them, you know, had never been involved. And, you know, we started asking different artists, a lot of the folks that I knew in this space because of everything I was describing before. And from there, we, you know, we moved forward with everything. So, Yeah. It was um it was an incredible moment to say the least, you know? And um it was an incredible moment to say the least. And so, you know, that was the formation. And from there, we uh you know, I spoke with uh Raf and Greg, who I 
known both a long time and they've done incredible work around coming on board around like I want to create this DAO and we applied for Seed Club and we're fortunate enough to get in and we started building out, you know, building a DAO around this. And then from there, we, you know, we really went into the, um, you know, into the actual, you know, full building and minting a token and, you know, really like getting deep into Web3 and different concepts of decentralization and collectivity, because I would say like in our case, it's not just autonomous. There are a lot of collective ideas and decisions that come. Um, and, you know, what, you know, the kind of newer Web3 that, you know, is happening now, you know, some folks call it just on chain as opposed to only Web3. Um, and, you know, we started to dig deep and we launched. And when we launched, what we were amazed by, we did our Hello World as the, was the custom. And so what happened is, you know, it was around NFT NYC that year. And, you know, we had just launched and we just saw this wild response, like all these folks coming in from all over the world, um, so much interest. And really, you know, at that point, we started realizing there was just this place for refraction that was totally different than anything in the space. And so, you know, a lot of the folks that were coming in were even folks who were going to ask to be in the DAO. So it was kind of incredible in that sense. And as it went along, um, we started seeing more and more people come in to the point that we had to gate the Discord just because there was such an incredible kind of community that come in right away. And also because we wanted to make sure that that would be held, you know, and would be like sacred and really like help develop that community from the beginning up. So, yeah, it was a crazy and super exciting time. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you touched on something, too, about how like in that in that sort of announcement post, you talked about your values and sort of how they related to, you know, your values growing up in the electronic music scene and how people really resonated with that. Totally. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. So it's like, you know, growing up in the kind of electronic music and digital art world and communities, there were always a lot of values that we really like held to, you know, around how to be, what we thought culturally, belief in the underground and independent movements. And a lot of the folks that started coming in, they really understood what we were talking about or saying. You know, we were talking about, you know, the history of electronic music and Detroit techno and Chicago house and the history in New York and the importance of LGBTQ plus cultures. And, you know, just like, you know, in other marginalized communities and, you know, the importance of that in creating the culture and how much we believed in that. And we just, you know, we really saw a representation of folks, some which we have, would have expected and some that we, you know, just really agreed overall with what we were saying, you know. And and from that, you know, it was kind of like a really interesting way to like vocalize what we were doing in a way where folks came in and were like, yeah, I'm down. I really want to get involved. I love what you guys are saying. I love what you're doing. And so we saw a community really starting right away that very much resonated with you know, what we wanted overall, and we're a very open community, you know, as a whole, but it's important to have certain intrinsic values, you know, in terms of respect for people's backgrounds and, you know, where they come from and what their beliefs are and so on and so forth and, you know, their identity. So we, you know, it was, it was really a beautiful time. And what was also amazing is folks were coming in from all over the world. You know, it wasn't just one area of the world that was really all over the world and that's kind of how it started and how it relates to this day 
Yeah, super exciting. And you guys are working on uh, so many different exciting projects. Uh, I sort of realized in that that I forgot to give the, you know, we forgot to give the brief overview of Refraction before we got into all that background leading up to it. So I want to read really quickly some something from, I forget if this was an interview with you or from the Refraction website, but uh, it's a quote from from Refraction that says, Refraction DAO's goal is to become a decentralized global creative community of artists, curators, and fans focused on moving culture forward through collectively reimagining live experiences in the physical world and in the open metaverse. Our mission is to equitably redistribute the upside back to creators while enabling collective ownership and fostering new models of organization. Um, so I think that ties into like, yeah, a lot of the ethos that we've been talking about that you can see the parallels between you know, the rave scene in the 90s and, and the Web3 uh, community and broader Web3 scene now is, you know, artists run collectives and, and projects and companies and power back to the creators and the contributors. Um, I wanted, I was curious how, you know, you guys have so much going on. There's an editorial, there's, uh, there's the events, there's the digital events, there's all these different things. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you think about like, spreading yourselves too thin and you know getting your foot in too many things versus like having a cohesive right. brand and yeah. having a sense of direction for the project absolutely so i mean i think the biggest thing what we did at the end of last year because there's so many directions you can go is we really focused in on the things i was just mentioning um a moment ago jake can you hear me yeah yeah okay cool i wasn't sure and um you know, we're really focused on events, you know, on supporting our artists, on doing different partnerships, our creative program and drops. And, um, you know, and how that kind of core goes out into areas like the MicroDAOs or Creative Grants program and so on. Meaning that um, there's opportunities to do all of these different things in Web3. But for, you know, for instance, we've had some folks ask us, well, what's your what product are you building? But our product is really the community, the events, and like this new way of thinking, you know? And and we've really decided to like double or triple down on that because there's only so much you can do, you know? So I think like what we found ourselves doing through that is being at a base point of like a larger ecosystem, right? So we're kind of at the center of an ecosystem. So for instance, this, this year, you know, outside of partnerships with like, you know, orgs like, Mutech, um, you know, as an example of Web2 or, you know, Zero Space in New York um, or Resident Advisor in terms of like how we're launching all our events worldwide. There's also a lot of really credible Web3 collaborations with SongCamp and FWB and MetaLabel and, um, you know, others in the space that were looking to really, um, you know, go deeper with, you know, for instance, we've been having a really cool conversation with STEM style recently um, around, you know, how could we work with them to figure out interesting ways that, you know, folks can release, you know, and with SongCamp, you know, talking about ways that we can do, you know, really cool collabs and events together, you know, and FWB the same and modern music in terms of, you know, not just a summit, but now taking that further. And I think what we found is like our place is really at the center of the 
you know, creative cultural ecosystem within, you know, this kind of like web through your on-chain movement right now. And that's where we, that's where we sit, you know, so, and that's where we're comfortable, you know? And so instead of trying to do a million more things outside of that, it's more doubling down on the things we do, um, you know, through ourselves or with others, you know, for instance, you know, with proof of people working with vertical crypto art in New York, it's like really fun to have other orgs like that come on or all ships, which are helping with curation there as well. Um, you know, there's been conversations with other art, artists run groups like zine and art world, et cetera, you know, and potentially something really cool with transfer gallery. There's all these different ways of thinking about this in this new space that wouldn't be possible before, you know, or art X code as an example as well. Like I'm just naming all of these groups because it's just incredible. You know, what's been really interesting with regard to where we sit in web three is we're kind of right in the middle of a certain kind of cultural creative ecosystem, you know? So we work with everyone from, you know, song camp to FWB to water and music, um, you know, to different like pods and, you know, creation groups and curatorial groups like Mutech or, you know, spaces like public records and, you know, uh, VCA, like proof of people, which we're doing NFT NYC with, um, you know, and then, you know, collaborating with Outland on publications, um, you know, all of these different places. It's just like, we're right in the middle of this kind of cultural creative ecosystem of web three. And it's been amazing to watch it all blossom. And, you know, I talk to a lot of folks in the space and everyone kind of sees it the same in the sense of like, it's time for everyone to uplift each other and come together as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Um, but something I wanted to ask, I guess, as one of the final questions here is as you're organizing all these different events and communicating with people all over the world and, you know, building this brand, everything that you guys are doing, I'd really love to hear how you, uh, you know, how the technology has changed around organizing all of that and implementing it and what you actually use to get everything done compared to, you know, how you've seen it change after maybe new forms or something like that. I mean, it's incredibly we're working across the across the planet. So what I would say when it comes down to it is that the biggest thing has been the shift for us, I would say most of all, in terms of collective ownership. So having a blockchain as a way to really signify that in an ongoing manner and for that to be seen. I think really changes how people think in general in a really positive way. Um, so I think that technology and the technology in and around it, whether it's, you know, through, you know, snapshots around decisions we make. So refract passes for folks to come to events and celebrate and get specific drops or through owning a refract vis-a-vis having ownership within a faction. It creates like real qualitative, um, ways of showing and exchanging, you know? Um, you know, and of course, like discussions, whether they happen on, you know, Discord, uh, other forms like that, or using, you know, technology in and around, like I said, like snapshots for voting or, you know, um, other ways of creating, for instance, our archive and having that token gated into our drops being token gated. It helps about just to like build community, but it also helps to build like cultural value 
you know, and I think, you know, one of the most important things is like, for, for us, I think is having a lot of those things, um, figured out, you know, because those are the things that then we can add to the knowledge we have in terms of making sure that everything, you know, really flows in a really good way. So for instance, like on our events now, we're having more and more web three integration. So if you're a frag pass member, there's certain things you get at the events, there's certain drops you get, et cetera, you know? In Miami, I think, as you know, we did this little refract token for beer and it was our first test. I think maybe the first time you could get like a beer with tokens. Yeah, I did so, that. It was awesome. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're trying and testing those things. And, you know, the truth is it takes time, right? So that's like an early, early, early experiment in a much longer, longer form concept, you know? And, um, you know, I would say like, those are the ways that it really helps us was around that collectivity. Um, and, you know, Similar to what I said, you know, in the idea of being decentralized, it's also about being collective in a sense or understanding that you're part of a larger whole, you know, and you're playing a part. So, I mean, those are the ways I think it really, you know, has helped us and really helped us around our specific and stated goals, you know, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And I would say, you know, you know, musically, as we get into like different kinds of like music drops, um, artistically, as we get into creating, you know, more and more like AV drops or visual drops or live mint drops or ticketing. And, you know, of course, through just the ongoing, like daily, you know, DAO practices, like the technology or just the, I would call it more like the on-chain activity, like having a world that on, that's on-chain is really interesting. To, be, to build more, um, you know, next level creative processes, so to speak. And, um, yeah, you know, it's really cool. Like when we partner with folks around the world and being safe to say, we can give you this much rich app to join. And that's our policy. It's like creating collective visions, you know, in a collective mode. And I think, you know, for me, all of those things are, you know, really what's so important and what's so cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. It's, it's really cool to hear you talk about it. I'm excited to see you know where Refraction goes and everything you guys develop in the future. Um, I don't know if you're going to be in East Denver. But I will. Welcome to come word. So yeah, we'll love to see you there at um, Thursday night. Refraction there, and definitely in New York in a couple of months too. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. It was an awesome conversation, and um. You can let Davon know that I'm doing my stretches every day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm working on my shot daily just to make sure that, like, you know, next time, next time we go, we go one on one. You know, gonna be, um, it's gonna be more entertaining the last time on, on my side. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely let him know. Uh, and yeah, I don't, you know, love. I really, I really appreciate your time. This was a great conversation. So uh, yeah. thanks again, and hopefully, I'll see you. Uh, what is that next weekend? For East Denver. Yeah, next week, next Thursday's the event. So I'd love to see you there. Just reach out. And um, yeah, thanks a million, Jake. This was a great conversation. And congrats with everything happening with FloatDAO right now. That's crazy to hear the progress there as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right. right. It would be great to climb on something. Yes, definitely. Word. Okay. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, thank you. Yep. Okay, take care. Have a good one.
All right. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support Malcolm and Refraction. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Lens at the links below as well. And be sure to tune in next episode for a conversation with Mavi Taylor, an independent artist utilizing Web3 and AI tooling in some super interesting ways.